Alright, hello everyone. Welcome to another episode of the 411 Ground and Pound MMA Podcast, your weekly look into the wide, wacky, wonderful world of mixed martial arts. I'm Robert Winfrey, I'm your host. Flying solo for this one, it's a small show, we'll be in and out of here very quickly. Uh, only thing I've got on the schedule is a preview for UFC on ESPN Plus 42. The UFC was off on the 30th of January, but uh, we're uh, we're going full steam ahead now. <laughs> I think they've got the UFC has a show every Saturday until what the end of March. I think the first Saturday in April is the next time they don't have an event scheduled at the moment. Yeah, so February 6, 13, 20, 27, March 6, 13, 20, 27, April 10th and 17th. That's the extent of the schedule we have at the moment. So we're gonna be uh, we're gonna be full again, full steam ahead. No. Appreciable breaks. Uh, we're also currently scheduled to be at the UFC Apex facility until uh, through UFC 259, so that's March 6th. Uh, the others, we still have venue and location to be determined. But the next, sort of that, five events. Yeah, the next five events will be, at the moment at least, at the UFC Apex. Uh, that could change depending upon, uh, again, we touched a little bit on this last week. Uh, if new travel restrictions come into play, uh, who knows? That could throw a, a non-trivial monkey wrench into the proceedings. But, uh, I'll, as always, please like, comment, subscribe, tell a friend, tell an enemy, tell a stranger. Just some random person on the street. I wish for you to verbally accost them with news of this show. Uh, not really, but you guys get the point. Work with me here a little bit. Still trying to grow this thing. All right, let's jump into this. UFC on ESPN Plus 42 coming your way February 6th from the UFC Apex. We don't have a completely finalized bout order at the moment. I'm not sure why. We've had some fights fall out. Uh, that's not a not terribly surprising. But your top two fights are quite good. And there's a really good lightweight fight, actually. So before I get into this, let me... We've got 3, 4, 5, 6, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14. We have 15 fights scheduled at the moment. One of those is missing. Two of those are missing half of their equations, but eh, 15 fights. It's just more than you need. I mean, I get that at this point they're building in redundancies for fights falling out, but eh, it's... 15 fights, man. Again, you got to figure about half an hour of broadcast time per fight, per non-five-round fight. Uh, it's just a lot. It's just a long night. It's just a long night. Anyway, main event. Darn good fight. Alistair Overeem, Alexander Volkov. Uh, we, of course, at this point have confirmation about Stipe and Ganu too. Uh, and Ganu opening is a slight betting favorite in that fight. If you can get Stipe as a dog, that I don't talk about betting here all that often. I don't want anybody to take my advice and lose their house. But uh, if you can find Stipe as a dog, and you don't my big thing on gambling, don't gamble to try and save your mortgage or anything. If you've got some extra cash and you don't mind losing, uh, you know, might be a smart bet. Um, then again, I mean, look, either of those guys could very easily win that fight. They're both extremely talented. But the winner of this fight, 
Um, might be next in line. Um, there's a couple of heavyweight fights coming up. There's this one. Then in a couple of weeks, there's um, Curtis Blades and Derek Lewis. If Curtis Blades wins that fight, it would be very, very hard to deny him. Yeah, that's going to be on the 10th. I mean, Blades is... He's not setting the world on fire in terms of performances, especially his last one. But he's won four in a row. His I said this before. The only times that man has lost as a professional fighter have been uh, to Francis Ngannou. Uh, the Volkov fight, his last one, didn't endear him to a lot of people the way that went. Uh, and I don't blame anybody. It wasn't, uh, wasn't an especially scintillating performance from Curtis Blades. But if he gets by Lewis, he gets to five in a row. I mean, you just have to reward that at some point. And that would probably be the appropriate point to do it. Uh, conversely for Lewis, I mean, he's won three. Some of those have been just awful fights, though. I mean, just awful. <laughs> In fact, two of those three have been just awful fights. Oof. So he's probably not uh, not in the immediate title picture with a win. Uh, so if Lewis wins, then I imagine the winner of this fight will get the next shot, uh, especially if it's Overeem. I mean, the downside for Overeem is that he has losses to both uh, Stipe and Nganu. Now, that doesn't mean you can't sell a rematch. You certainly could if you were so inclined. But uh, it's it's just a little bit more difficult. I mean, again, plus side, it's heavyweight. So short path, and people are always willing to kind of uh, go along with the flow as long as that. I mean, neither of those losses are recent. I think it's the other thing that is important to consider. I uh, see the Stipe loss was in 2016, September. The Nganu loss in 17. So we're talking a, a chunk of time, you know, over three years in both cases. Uh, so you could do it. He's 4-1 and one in his last five. The only loss was a fight that he was winning up until he got you know, hit with that punch uh, against Rosenstroik. He's finished all four of those wins. I mean, he hasn't been to a decision since he fought Verdum in 2017. Before that, it was all the way back in Moray Nelson in 15. Uh, if he gets to three in a row and he stops Volkov especially, they might. They might do that. Uh, Volkov, by contrast, uh, he bounced back from that because he had, the, again, the rough fight with Curtis Blades. He bounced back in a significant way when he stopped Walt Harris uh, in October of last year. Uh, he looked really good in that fight. So... Again, if Volkov wins, it's a little bit, again, on the back of just two, but the top of heavyweight's a little bit cluttered with rematches, so fresh fights are going to be at kind of a premium. As for the fight itself, both men are strikers, and that does bring up a really kind of odd quirk of Alistair Overeem's game. You know, Overeem will... Uh, I'm I'm trying to remember how I... I think it was Jack Slack I heard it put it this way. If Overeem is afraid of you, or you're striking, he fights you in ways that actually contribute to him getting knocked out. But if he fights like a good technical striker, you know, he he has, does great stuff even against 
uh, you know, good strikers. I mean, you know, the Mark Hunt fight's a very good example of that. Mark Hunt is a very, very good striker. Overeem showed no fear and was able to knock him out in the third round. Uh, by contrast, you know, there's sometimes when you just will spend a lot of time, you know, backing up and running away from fights for somewhat inexplicable reasons. So it, it's a it's a tough thing. Um, Volkov fights good long. He also fights good in uh, in the pocket. He's very. Uh, if this gets all the way to the clinch, I favor Overeem. His clinch game is still incredibly strong. If it hits the ground, like most heavyweight fights, like far and away, majority of heavyweight fights, if it hits the ground, the person on top is winning. There's very few exceptions to that, and neither of these two gentlemen, unless they grab something in transition, the person on bottom is going to be losing. So I, I'm kind of leaning towards Overeem. I think you know, the the more it stays on the feet at distance, it's a little bit more even. Might even favor Volkov's activity. But if Overeem gets close, gets a trip, and gets on top, man, Overeem's ground and pound, people forget. Uh, that's his he he's able to kind of marry appropriate striking, uh, technique and technique and uh, you know philosophy for fighting on the ground in terms of how he dishes out damage. Watch the way he throws punches and elbows on the ground. A lot of guys change their technique when they're when they're working on the ground versus on the feet, and Overeem doesn't do that quite as much. It's a really, really nice little nuance to his game. He's great at generating power over those distances on the ground. So I, I kind of favor Overeem, but... Right, solid fight. Uh, let's see. Co-main event, another really good fight, actually. Corey Sandhagen and Frankie Edgar. Uh, Sandhagen coming off of that really Im uh, important win over Marlon Moraes. Uh, stopped him in the second. Whereas Frankie had that war, and I he had that, I mean, that war with Munoz that I thought he lost. Uh, the thing about Frankie, I mean, he's a, obviously an incredible fighter. He's still going strong, and, I mean, did he debut? He debuted professionally in 2005. He has a long career. He's been in the UFC since 2007. Uh, that, again, long career. In fact, February of 2007. This fight will take place just a little bit after his, what would that be, 14-year anniversary in the UFC. Not many people stick around that long. Uh, much less have the success that he did. But I... Frankie's game only works when it's working in concert with itself. Frankie's striking is not all that great. It works because he's because as he because he incorporates takedowns with it. When you're worried about his takedowns, his striking game opens up. And again, the reverse is true. When you're worried about his striking, it opens up his takedowns. Guys who have really shut him down, guys like Max, guys like Aldo, uh, even Benson in their first fight, if you take away one of those, if you just nullify the threat of one of them, the other one loses a giant portion of its efficacy, especially his wrestling. If you can take away his wrestling, if you're a good enough counter-wrestler, be that through footwork or, you know, again, traditional takedown defense methodology, whatever it is, 
if you're good enough at doing that to not have to adjust what you're doing in the rest of the fight to address it, beating him in a purely striking battle is very doable. Uh, and you know, again, the reverse is true. If you're a good enough striker, and this was kind of the max thing, I mean, Aldo beat him essentially because he was able, again, when Frankie's takedowns are not really a threat, and Aldo's takedown defense is... Uh, he might be the best anti-wrestler the sport has ever seen. So all Frankie has is his hands, because Aldo's not having to adjust what he's doing to deal with the takedowns. And Frankie's pure striking. I'm not, to be abundantly clear, I'm not saying it's bad. But so much of it is built around openings that he generates through not striking, that it becomes easier to deal with. Max was kind of the opposite, uh, kind of the, Brain Ortega was the opposite. Ortega just doesn't, he was so good at, uh, sorry, Max would kind of be the opposite. Max was just so good at striking that he left Frankie trying to force takedowns and he didn't, he then didn't have to deal with them. Because the striking was such a non-factor for what uh, Frankie was doing that his wrestling game suffered because of it. So if you want to see, again, a couple of different sides of the same coin there. So the question then, how is Corey Sandhagen going to wind up dealing with this? Sandhagen is a very dynamic fighter. Uh, His grappling... His grappling philosophy seems to be more on the scramble and speed chest element of it. So he's very much... Uh, you might get a takedown, but I'm immediately going to transition into something. He never concedes the position. He's always trying to do something rapidly. And I don't really know how Frankie's going to match up with that. Now, the pace that both of these gentlemen can fight at is up very, very high. <sighs> if this were five rounds, I think Frankie might have a better chance. Over three... Especially with how Frankie... Frankie loses a lot of first rounds. Uh, loses in the first round a little bit, too. Uh, both, I mean, his only TKO losses in his career. Uh, both came in the first round. Brian Ortega and Chan Sung Jung. But even in, even in fights he's won, the first round can sometimes be really rough for him. Again, not always. You can certainly find... Examples to the contrary, but as a general rule, uh, I'm going to pick Sandhagen, but it's a shame this fight isn't five rounds. I would love to see what these two would do over that distance against each other. Um, If Sandhagen wins, he should be next. Uh, We've got Sterling and Jan, knock on wood, that that fight holds together. Uh, If Sandhagen wins, he should be next. You know, if Edgar wins, they might throw him there. Uh, that's not at all outside the realm of possibility. Uh, you know, if Frankie does get a shot, I think he'd be the first guy in UFC history to fight for a title in three different weight classes. Um, we've seen other people fight across three weight classes, but I don't think anyone else has fought for the belt in three different weight classes. Because Aldo's, you know, both featherweight and bantamweight, both title fights... Uh, McGregor at two different, Cormier at two different. Uh, so, uh, we've seen the t- we've and again we've seen people move across three. I mean Kenny Florian fought in three different weight classes rather famously. 
uh, fought and for titles in two of them. But that was just lightweight and featherweight. Um, let's see, Diego only fought for the lightweight belt. Yeah, I think he would be, because, you know, lightweight champion, two shots at the featherweight title, the band, he, I, off the top of my head, he's the first. Uh, he would be the first person to fight for the title in three different weight classes, which is a fairly remarkable feat, especially the way he's done it. You know, he hasn't really backdoored into a celebrity shot. You could maybe argue his first featherweight shot against Aldo, but he'd already been through the trenches at lightweight and, you know... Again, it w it wasn't uh, it really it also wasn't jumping the line. There wasn't really another featherweight contender chomping at the bit that he was jumping over. And if he you know takes this one, yeah, I'd say he earned it. You know, if he if he beats Pedro Munoz and Corey Sandhagen in consecutive fights, you know, uh, there's still a couple of you know pretty big unknowns out there at the moment. You've got T.J. Dillashaw off suspension. Uh, Cruz would be unlikely, but he's got a fight coming up with Casey Kenny. Uh, that, and you know, if Cruz looks like a million bucks, then they might kind of hot shot him back up there. Uh, heck, Aldo I think is sticking around at bantamweight. So, yeah, again, there's there's a lot of play at bantamweight. It's a really really good division. You know, maybe the maybe the best in the UFC. If not, it is barely behind lightweight. But if Sandhagen wins, I think uh, I think he probably should get the next shot. All right, moving on. Let's see, Marion Renault and Macy Chasson. Uh, Renault's on a three-fight losing streak. Uh, she hasn't fought since June of 2020, whereas Chasson... Uh, see, she had her first ever professional loss in 2019. She bounced back okay last year, but she's been out for about a year. Um, probably Chason, but Renault's got a sneaky, uh, she's got a sneaky guard. A lot of people, if you get her down, you're not really all that safe. Uh, let's see, flyweight Alessandre Pantoja and Manel Cape, good fight. Uh, so Cape was supposed to debut, I think a couple of events ago, but that, uh, just wound up not, just wound up not happening. Uh, I forget I forget the specific reason, but, you know, could have been anything. Um, oh, this was, okay, it was supposed to take place in December. Pantoja pulled out due to, uh, uh, recurring COVID issues. Because, yeah, he had COVID, and this was, this wasn't, he, this wasn't a positive test, but it was, because some people, if you get a really bad case of it, you get, you know, Recurring symptoms, and I, that seems to be what he dealt with. So hopefully he's good for this fight. Uh, it's a good fight. I kind of lean towards Pantoja, but... Uh, Cape is no joke. Manel Cape is no joke. Let's see, Cody Stamen and Andre Ewell came in. Uh, Stamen was supposed to fight... Uh, uh That, let's see... Now, Dvalos really is recovering from COVID, so yeah, incepts Andre Ewell. Um, much more manageable task for Stamen. I think he'll beat Andre Ewell. Um, Ewell's not bad, but 
I think I won't be surprised if Yule wins. Let me put it like that. But I I feel okay favoring Stamen. And kicking off the main card as it currently stands, we have Carlos Diego Fajaya and Benil Dariush. Yes. Uh, Benil Dariush has a he's had a really really nice career kind of renaissance. You know, a lot of us thought he might be. He had the loss to Chiesa. He rebounded by knocking out James Vick. He beat Rashid Magomedov. Then he, you know, was doing so good against Barboza before running into that flying knee. Barely got a draw against Dunham. Got knocked out by Alexander Hernandez. And a lot of us, and I'll include myself in this, thought, okay, he's still good. He's very clearly still good. But that time, you know, at the top or as a you know kind of a fringe title contender even that seems to have kind of come and gone well he kind of made us he made us all eat our words he's currently on a five fight winning streak again nothing about that is easy at lightweight four of those are finishes uh he had two knockout of the year contenders last year his his uh punch against Dracar close and a spinning back fist against Scott Holtzman he had two submissions before that. Uh, again, somewhat improbably, not a, again, not impossibly, but improbably, Daryush is on a really good run. Uh, and on the other side, we have Carlos Diego Fajaya, who is on a very good run. He's been plagued by inactivity. I mean, he's won six in a row. Yeah, six. Um, again, what kind of held him back was a lot of... He missed all of 2017. Let's see, he fought... Because he fought Olivier Aubin-Mercier in January of 16. Didn't fight again until February of 18. So, a little over two years. Uh, fought twice in 18, twice in 19. So, he's been okay since then, but... He tends to fight once at the beginning of the year and once at the end. <laughs> Uh, he was last seen January of 18, so he, again, he was he wound up missing a lot, excuse me, January of 20, uh, when he submitted Anthony Pettis, but uh, he's, he missed everything after that, and if he wins, again, the winner here, lightweight is such a shark tank, man, that is such a shark tank, the winner here should get a high profile fight next, should. Whether it's either of them. That's a really good fight. I'm going to lean towards Daryush as I currently sit here, but... I mean, flip a coin. That's a great fight. Uh, hard to hard to go wrong at lightweight in that respect. Alright, uh, let's see. Rest of this card. Michael Johnson back up at lightweight fighting Clay Guida. Why? Michael Johnson is 34. He's been in the UFC since 2010, uh, December of 10, so uh, 11 years this guy's been here. I think he has a losing UFC record. I mean, obviously the man has a lot of ability. That's not, that's not really in dispute that there's, he's beaten some very talented guys. He's got fast hands. He's got some power. He's just... The book's kind of written on how to beat him. He's on a three-fight losing streak. Uh, I 
And there's Guida. Speaking of guys in the UFC for a long time, Guida! He debuted in the UFC in 2006. October of 6. God. Over 14 years at this point. Uh, Guida's just one in three in his last four. His only win was over BJ Penn in 2019, which means nothing. Um, I mean, if Guida gets out of the first round, he wins. And it's not like Johnson has a great guillotine joke. He has enough power to trouble him, but... I'm not going to pick a winner here. There are no winners, only losers. Uh, light heavyweight Mike Rodriguez will fight Danilo Marquez. I don't know if it's Danilo or... I don't know if he prefers Danilo or Danilo. Uh, I apologize if I'm pronouncing that incorrectly. Rodriguez... Uh, was beating the crap out of Ed Herman, and then stupidly got caught in a Kimura roll, and had to, it was one of the just most depressing things you'll ever see. I mean, he was, uh, he, because he hurt Herman badly, more than once. Um, I'll probably go with Rodriguez here. Uh, Molly McCann will fight Lara Procipio. Uh, Probably go with McCann there, but uh, that's not a given. Let's see, Seung Woo Choi will fight Yusuf Zalal. Uh, Zalal having to bounce back because he got yeah, he got worked by Ilya Teporia. That was a, he got worked by Teporia. I remember that was a was an entertaining little scrap. Uh, whereas Choi, not he's lost. That guy had a rough first couple of fights. He debuted in the UFC in 2014. Uh, and he, his first two fights were Movso Avoyev and Gavin Tucker. Yeah, he lost both of those. Uh, he got a win over Suman Mokhtarian in December of 19, but he's been out of action since then. Uh, he was supposed to fight Zalal in Oct- Oh, he was supposed to fight Zalal in the October card. Uh, he was supposed to fight Peterson here. Uh, Zalal is like the third guy uh, squaring up against him. He's, several guys fall out. Probably, I, I'll go with Zalal there, but... Uh, that one could be a decent fight. Let's see, again, some of these are out of order. Again, we do not have a finalized bout order here. Uh... Carol Rosa and Jocelyn Edwards. Okay, picking Rosa. A um, couple of fights that are, again, missing half the equation. We have debutante Alishkab Huvazev. He was supposed to fight... Who was he supposed to fight? Supposed to fight Wellington Terman. Uh, so we don't have a replacement yet. Don't know if there will be one. Lightweight fight between Devontae Smith and... You're supposed to fight Alex De Silva. I think it's just De Silva. Uh, there's a few different guys who that could be off the top of my head. This one's only been in the UFC. Okay, so I think this is... Uh, Coelho? Coelho? I'm, I'm just going to butcher that gentleman's last name. I apologize. Um, 
who is one and two in the UFC. He had a good fight with Brad Riddell that Riddell kind of pulled him back after uh, suffering a little bit there. So assuming, uh, anyway, uh, Coelho pulled out. Uh, so again, no replacement currently found for Smith. Catchweight bout of 130 pounds. Dennis Bondar and Odie Osborne. Um, I think they're both debuting. Osborne might have had a fight in the UFC. Go with Osborne. And a bantamweight fight between Martin Day and Timur Valiev. Valiev was doing so well in his UFC debut before he got caught. Uh, on the plus side, he did get to show off a lot of what makes him so good. Anyway, Martin Day, by contrast, has yet to win in the UFC. Uh, the UFC seemed to have plans for Valiev, and, I mean, who could blame them for having aspirations for that guy? I mean, technically, that's now a no contest rather than a loss, but he got knocked out. <laughs> I mean, he beat the crap out of Trevin Jones in that first round. Um, then Jones just caught him in the second. You know, it sucks, but it happens. Uh, again, that got overturned after Jones had a positive test for marijuana. I, I barely... Re I do not personally consider that a reason to overturn a test at this point. And thankfully, again, USADA's kind of moved away from that. But officially, it is now a no contest. Um... I I have a lot of confidence picking Valley of here over Martin Day, uh, for whatever that's worth. Uh, yeah, that's the card. Again, there's a few good fights there. There's some hidden gems. I, I will always go out of my way to kind of find Valley of fights. He's a lot of fun. Relevant main event, Sandhagen and Edgar should be really good, and you know, Fahey and Dariush is a top-notch lightweight matchmaking there. So, as for the rest of it, again, we it may not be all that Appealing on paper, but some solid stuff here. So stop by the MMA Zone of 411 Mania, stop, uh, and I will have coverage of that this Saturday. So please do stop by, say hello, tell your friends. I appreciate it. I uh, I know you can go a lot of places, and I appreciate you guys choosing uh, my work. So thank you very much, as always. Appreciate you. Um, I don't think there was a whole lot of news. Um. Only other thing I think I have here is... Let's go with... Uh, uh, the UFC confirmed Robert Whitaker versus Polo Costa for April. I think that was the 17th. Double check the date. Yeah, the, the fight night 190. Um, it's a good fight. You know, if Whitaker wins that fight, give him another crack at the belt. I mean, that would be... A, I mean, his his only middleweight loss right now is to Israel Adesanya, right? Uh, which you know, no shame. Uh, and I know that was a bad loss, but if he in his next three fights beats Till, Cannonier, and Costa, give that man another shot. He will have he will have absolutely earned it. There is no debate about that. Uh. It's a little bit more of a hard sell for Costa, but if he is the second guy to, to beat Whitaker, especially if he, you know, stops him, you could do a fast turnaround for another Adesanya fight, I guess. I mean, I don't think it would go any differently. But I don't really think Whitaker and Adesanya will go all that different. I mean, it'll look a little different. You know, Whitaker might be a bit more measured. He won't be as antsy, but I think that's just a really bad style matchup for him. Uh, so... I still think Adesanya beats either of them, but... Uh, you know, lots up in the air about Adesanya. If he beats Blahovich, 
Uh, is he even going to stick around at middleweight? So, uh, again, just stuff to consider. So there's that. Are there any other fights that got... Uh, really? Again, they confirmed Miocic and Ganu 2 for UFC 260. We'd already kind of knew that was coming, but uh, and they made it more official than officially releasing it, I guess. I don't know. Uh, so there's that fight. 260 is not a bad card at the moment. Uh, you have uh, Miocic and Ganu 2, Volkanovski, Ortega. You also got Jimmy Crute and Johnny Walker, which should be good fun. And then you have Tyron Woodley uh, battling Vicente Luque. That is, this might be Tyron Woodley's last gasp at relevance. He's 38. He's on a three-fight losing streak. Now... Again, this is somewhat mitigated by losing to Kamaru Usman, Gilbert Burns, and Colby Covington. Probably three three of the best middleweight, uh, welterweight, excuse me, in the world. If he drops to four in a row, and I don't mean this as a slight, I don't mean the following as a slight to Luke. Luke is a tragically underappreciated fighter at welterweight. Uh, I mean, his own, he lost his UFC debut to Michael Graves. Won four in a row, lost to Edwards, won, what, six in a row? Three, four. Yeah, he had to win six fights in a row to get a shot at Stephen Thompson. Lost. Rebounded, won two fights. Uh, again, Luke is almost tragically underappreciated. Uh, but he's also never beaten a top guy. And if Woodley drops to four in a row against him, I, I think that would be kind of the end of his relevance in the UFC welterweight division. But if that's your main card, uh, the other fight there being uh, a light heavyweight fight between Modestus Bukowskis and Mikhail Oleksijuk, uh, if that's your main card, that's not bad. I mean, those two title fights alone are really solid, so you throw in uh, you know, Woodley trying to save his career, Crute and Walker battling it out for a uh, to see which of them is actually going to become a you know, move from prospect to legitimate contender. Uh, not a that would not be a bad pay-per-view main card on paper. Just gonna say it like that. Uh, that's kind of all the news I have at the moment. I mean, there's some little stuff. Mario Yamasaki is apparently coming back to refereeing. I don't think he'll be in the UFC right away, but uh, okay. I mean, he's, he hasn't, I, th I don't think he's refed a fight since uh, that, that massacre he allowed to happen between Shevchenko and Kashwaya. Uh, but, you know, if he's gone through some new training, kind of reassessed things, and wants to, you know, ref smaller shows, and is able to display, uh, you know, that he's competent, uh, sure, I don't object to his... I don't object to him coming back into the sport. I mean, you, and if you do, you've either got a personal axe to grind, uh, which Michael Chiesa does, or you're operating on a really bizarre kind of uh, paradigm where people can't improve themselves and then return. That seems like a really odd way to kind of look at life. Yeah, you we all said it at the time that Shevchenko and Kashwaya fight happened. Terrible job of officiating. Even the best referee has some of those under their belt. Now, again, you look at Yamasaki and you go, 
you know, what's the preponderance of evidence here? And he's, he stepped away. He hasn't refed since then. Uh, if he, again, if he's gone through some training uh, or something equivalent to that, and he wants to start refing again, and if you start him on smaller shows, I mean, I don't want him refing a UFC title fight right off the bat. Seems like a recipe for disaster. But if he works smaller shows, okay, you know? Uh, I'm perfectly willing to give him the opportunity to prove that he's bettered himself as a referee. If he proves that he hasn't when there's more evidence, then okay. Uh, back to the wasteland you go, sir, when it comes to officiating. But I don't object to him getting the opportunity. Uh, I think that's kind of it for me here. Let me check Twitter, see if anything... See if anything crazy has happened uh, related to the sport. I don't think so. Uh, I actually do kind of think that that's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, that's gonna that's gonna do it for today. I told you, short episode. All right, so what what do we have for plugs? Uh, I got together with Mark Radlich for a couple of impromptu. Uh, bits of boxing alternative commentary. You can find those over on the Radlich and Broadcasting Network subgroup of the W2M Network. Uh, one of them was a stupid heavyweight fight that Mark just kind of messaged me out of the blue and said, hey, come talk about this. And I said, all right, I'll, uh, I'll get my shovel out and bury something. The other was Caleb Plant and Caleb Truex, which was a darn good fight. Uh, a really nice exhibition of skill from Plant, who is... Trying to make a case as a... I mean, he is one of the 168-pound champions. And if Canelo Alvarez is serious in his quest to unify all the belts in that weight class, he's got a fight plant. Uh, plant making a pretty strong case for himself as a guy who could give Canelo a fairly serious fight. So, uh, you can find those. This Tuesday, Damn You Hollywood will take a view uh, review of Netflix's sci-fi action doohickey outside the wire. So, we'll... Have a look at that. Um, I think that's it for me. Again, Fridays, you can find me on in the wrestling zone of 411 Mania covering WWE SmackDown. Uh, yeah, and then I'll be back here next week. We'll review UFC on ESPN Plus 42, and we'll preview UFC 258, uh, which at the moment, that card could use a little help. Um... Your main event, Kamaru Usman and Gilbert Burns, great fight. Great fight for the welterweight title. Not going to say anything bad about that. There's not a whole lot of other value on this card in terms of your money. Um, Pedro Munoz and Jimmy Rivera could have a, will probably have an entertaining little scrap. Uh, Kelvin Gastelum versus Ian Heinish is not bad. But... I mean, the other fights that we know of, Gabriel Green and Philip Rowe, I think they're both debuting. Julian Marquez ends, uh, is trying, again, to end, uh, a, he, that man hasn't fought in a long time. Uh, a couple of years at this point. He's allegedly returning against Maki Patolo, Adolfo Vieira and Anthony Hernandez, Diego Lima below Mohamed. That's not a bad fight. But, again, you're just not looking at a ton of, like, $70 value there. So hopefully we get something else. I mean, it's a little bit late for it, but hopefully there's some there's some added value there because at the moment, not a tremendous amount of it. 
So full preview next week. We'll see what's uh, potentially been added to it by then. Until next time, thank you all again very much for listening. Thank you for like, comment, subscribe, share, all of it. Appreciate all of it. Thank you very much. Stay safe out there as always, and please continue to be well, be safe, and behave.